Hey, good morning. Welcome to River Ridge. I am Matt that Jay talked about, and I'm 31, so <laughs> I'm not. Hey, uh, so as many of you know, I was in Kenya for the last almost two weeks. Uh, I got back on Friday night. Actually, it was Saturday morning uh, before I actually got home, got home sometime after midnight. And so just to be fair, to let you know, I'm a little bit jet lagged. And so if I fall asleep up here, come somebody wake me up. Uh, and quid pro quo, if I notice you nodding off, I will come wake you up as well. Is that, is that fair? Um, so yeah, I was part of a team that went to Kenya, and I just had a phenomenal time of ministry. The main thing that we did in Kenya is we were part of a work crew that served at a Young Life soccer camp outside of Nairobi, Kenya. And uh, here's a picture of uh, kids at club. There were about maybe 350 to 400 kids uh, at this Young Life camp. And uh, we were basically the work crew. And so our job as part of the work crew was to wash dishes. And so we washed the dishes of all of those kids uh, every meal for uh, three and a half days uh, by hand with this little sort of washing system that we put together. And uh, so it was really neat to be a part of it. Uh, but the highlight of the, the time in Kenya and certainly of this camp is on the last night of camp, there were 308 students who stood up and uh, gave their lives to Christ. So that was very, very exciting to be a part of. Uh, so the sermon title this morning is titled um, Church Shopping, or that's the message series that we're beginning today. And I have been in Kenya, and my mind is a little bit sort of scattered. And so I kind of thought about the differences, like, church shopping, and then think about shopping and how, you know, in the U.S., you know, you take your stuff to the counter and you say, you pay whatever is on the, you know, ticket or whatever. But in Kenya, almost everything is bartered for in terms of negotiating the price. And I was sort of thinking, gosh, what would it look like if we were to sort of do church shopping instead of we do church bartering? And what would that look like? And uh, so we had an interesting kind of day one day. We went um, to downtown Nairobi, and we did some shopping. Uh, we also went to an orphanage, uh, which was probably the highlight for a lot of the folks uh, on the trip. Uh, and one of the things that will always be emblazed in my mind as we went to this orphanage is, uh, so there was probably 10 or 12 uh, kids in this room who were one. Like they could almost walk or just barely walk or not quite walk. And so my son, Will, uh, was in there with these kids. And, uh, and Will, if you've never seen him, he is uh, 15 years old. He's uh, six foot tall. He has blonde hair and pasty white skin. And so to see him lying on the floor of this room, basically being sat on by these four little black babies, just jumping on him and pulling his little blonde, his blonde hair and taking his glasses off and and he was loving every minute, and they were loving every minute of it. But it was just, it was an awesome picture. But on that same day, we went to Nairobi. Uh, we also went to this Maasai market where we bought different goods. And so the way that bartering works in, uh, in Kenya, or really wherever you do bartering in other countries, is you decide what you want, and then you try and get them to come down to a price that you are willing to pay, right? And so uh, I bought, for example, I bought this wallet when I was over there. It's got a little elephant on the front. And so I noticed the elf or the wallet and the, the person, and I said, how much is the wallet? And they said, $30. And I said, too much. I'll give you $5 for it. And like, no, 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 no. 
$20. I said, I'll give you $5 for it. They came down to $15. I went up to $6. Come on, it's worth more than $6. I'm like, all right, I'll give you $9 for it. And so we settled on $9. And so that's how you negotiate. Um, probably one of the funniest bartering things is, uh, so my friend Jason Hager was with us. And he had bought some different things. Uh, but then he comes across this really neat sort of canvas map of either Kenya or Africa. I can't remember which one. But he only has $10 left of, of money to spend. And so the person selling it, who's quite aggressive, says $30. And Jason's like, all I have is $10. $30. Jason's like, I don't have any more than $10. And the guy goes, do you have any pens? Jason's like, sure. He goes, $10 and two pens, and I'll give you this map. And so I was like, the pens were like five-cent pens, but the guy was like, they're valuable to this guy. So anyway, so when I think about this concept of church bartering, and what would that look like, right? And so you say, okay, you know what I really need? I need a drummer for the band. What's it going to cost me to get a drummer? And you go, well, to get a drummer, uh, you're going to have to give us uh, three greeters and two nursery workers. No, that's, that's too much. Only two greeters and two nursery workers. You know, and we would sort of barter that out. So anyway, that's where my mind is going. I will hope that the rest of the message will be more streamlined than that. But I was thinking that we do need preschool teachers, and we could, we could trade a jet-lagged um, pastor for a preschool teacher, see if we can come up with one. So we're talking about church shopping. And uh, let me tell you, first of all, what church shopping is not. This is not going to be a four-week commercial on come to River Ridge. River Ridge Church is the greatest church ever. That is not what church shopping is about. What we're going to do is we're going to talk about what is God's design for the church, because Jesus created the church. He said, there will be a church that follows after I have died, risen, and then gone to heaven. Jesus said this. He said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so Jesus had in mind that he would build, he would leave a church that would endure for generations and generations and generations. But the question is, what does that church look like? What should that church look like? You know, when we go looking for a church, and most of us in this room, if not almost every one of us in this room, have looked for a church. And maybe you found River Ridge, or maybe you, you've moved somewhere, you moved back. But we have this list in our minds about, what do I want in a church? And it tends to be a list that would be, well, you know, I want the music to sound this way. I want the messages to be this kind of message. I want the programming for my kids or my teenagers to look like this. I want them to be, I want the church to be of this size or to be of a smaller size. And we have this list of things that we're looking for in a church. You know, when uh, Stacy and I started dating, it was probably six or eight months into when we started dating, I found out that she had a list of things that she was looking for in a boyfriend and then a potentially a husband. And there were like 10 or 15 things on this list, and I found out about the list. I'm like, well, what's on the list? And tried to get you know, some inside knowledge between her and her roommate about what was on this list. And so like, there, like I said, there were 10, 12, excuse me, there are 12 things on this list. And I'm like, well, how many of those do I meet? And she was like, five? <laughs> well, that doesn't make any sense. And so... But as I, as I looked at this list, and I'm like, there's only one person 
in all of human history that I could ever think of that could meet all 12 characteristics on this list. And his name is Jesus, and he's dead. So, I mean, it was one of those things like, it's impossible to meet this list. But you see, I think sometimes when it comes to church, we have that same sort of consumer attitude about church. I want this, 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 I want this. I want these things for me in a church. And we go looking for the perfect church. But the fact is that the perfect church doesn't exist. There's no such thing as the perfect church. And the thing is, the perfect church doesn't exist because the church is made up of the people of God. And the people of God are imperfect. You know, the church is not a building. It's not bricks and mortar. It's not drywall and lights and a stage. The church is the people of God doing the things of God. But it's imperfect people. But what we want to do throughout this series is we want to talk about who does God want the church to be? Recognizing that as a group, as River Ridge, we will grow to be what God wants us to be, but that we haven't arrived there yet. In the same way that we as individuals, none of us have arrived at where God wants us to be. We are always in process. And likewise, the local church is always in process to becoming who God wants the local church to be. And so with that in mind, we're going to talk for four weeks on this series titled Church Shopping. And each week we're going to look at a different characteristic of a church. And this may be very different from the things that you have in mind. And if you were to ever move or go looking for a church somewhere else for whatever reason, you would say, make sure, I would say, make sure that these four characteristics are true of any church that you would be a part of. So here's the first one that we're going to talk about today. It's a mission that challenges me. A mission that challenges me. And that statement, a mission that challenges me in terms of what I look for in a church, there's two questions that are raised from that. The first is this, is what exactly is the mission of the church or what should the mission be? And then the second is, does the church challenge me to be a part of fulfilling that mission? And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at John chapter 17 uh, this morning, and we're just going to work through about 10 or 12 verses together and answer these two questions about what is the mission of the church, and then how does that challenge me in the way that I live my life. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for this opportunity to look into the gospel of John, to see who uh, you want us to be, how you want the church to be formed, and what you want us to be about. God, I pray that you would challenge us from your word this morning. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So open up, if you would, to John chapter 17. And I want to pick a verse right out of the middle of it, and then we'll go through it sequentially. Uh, But here's the verse I want us to pick out. And what this is in John chapter 17 is Jesus is praying to his heavenly Father, and he is praying for the disciples, Peter, James, John, Matthew, Bartholomew. He's praying for those 12 guys. But listen to this. This is verse 20. It says this, I do not ask for these only. And we'll go through all the things that he asked for, but I want us to understand this in the beginning. It says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. So he's praying not just for the 12 original disciples, but he's praying for all that would follow, 
all who would follow who would also believe in Christ. And so if you're a believer in Christ, that's you. Jesus is praying for you as he prays this, as it's recorded in John chapter 17. So everything that applies to the disciples also applies to us. So we begin verse 3. It says, Jesus says, And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So that's the mission of the church. Eternal life found in Jesus Christ. Found with God through Jesus Christ. Now, we're in January, and January is notorious, obviously, for New Year's resolutions. And maybe you're here in part because of a New Year's resolution, or in part because it's a new year and you want to kind of put a new foot forward. And so maybe part of your thinking, whether it's a stated New Year's resolution, or maybe it's just something you've kind of been thinking about, but you're saying to yourself, you know, this year we want to make church a priority as a family, or I want to get right in my relationship with God. Or maybe you're thinking, this year I or our family, we really want to get involved in the life of the church. We want to be serious about church, or we want to be regular at church. And you have these sort of ideas about church and involvement and seriousness and God and so forth. And those are great. And I hope that the things, whatever you would say that in your mind, I hope that that's true, and I hope that happens this year. But I hope that it's not like other New Year's resolutions. You know, this year I want to lose 20 pounds. And so we work really hard in January, a little bit in in February. And by March, you know, we've totally forgotten about our goal or living on a budget or eating healthy or exercising more or whatever it is. My hope is that as you think about the spiritual stuff, the spiritual goals that you might be setting in your life for this year, that they would carry on. And them carrying on in your life comes to understanding what we're going to read in this, in what we just read in verse 3. It says, And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. You know, getting involved with a small group is great. Starting to serve is great. Giving money to River's Church is great. Coming regularly is great. Those are all great things. But ultimately, if we miss this, then we miss everything. That eternal life is found in Jesus Christ. That's the mission of the church. That we here and that the world around us would find eternal life, and that eternal life is found through our relationship with Jesus Christ. That's why he created the church, to proclaim that people can have eternal life. But our message, or the mission of the church, is not, hey, just go to heaven. You know, avoid hell, go to heaven. The mission of the church is more than that. It's about what happens in our lives here. Skip down to verse 13. Jesus continues and he prays, But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. That the other part of it is that Jesus wants you to have joy on your journey through this life. That's the mission of the church, that people would have this vibrant, dynamic, exciting relationship with Christ marked by joy in our lives, my joy fulfilled in them, Jesus' joy in us. 
And, you know, this is something that I just want to take kind of aside and talk about for a minute because it's something that's really been on my heart over the last month is what does it mean to really have joy that comes from Christ? And if you were here back in December, December 17th it was, is we were in this simple Christmas series, and I talked about joy, and I gave an entire 30-minute, 35-minute message on what is joy and how do we have it. And that joy is not circumstantial happiness. It's not happiness based on my circumstances and what's going on around me. That joy is an enduring life with Christ. It comes to us that's regardless, it's joy that's regardless of the circumstances that we're in. So I gave that message on a Sunday, and on Tuesday, I was just kind of down in the dumps. And I remember thinking, man, I am being robbed of my joy. I want to have joy, but I don't have it. And I actually went back and re-looked at my message from two days ago. I said, what did I say two days ago about how to have joy and put some of those things into practice? And God restored my joy. And then three or four days later, it's Christmas Eve and then Christmas Day, and I felt just, again, robbed of my joy because of going to Kenya, about things that were happening when I got back, and, and I was just felt robbed of my joy. And I prayed. I said, God, restore my joy to me. And it was one of those things that was just awesome because in a very, very supernatural way, God just gave joy to my heart because my circumstances didn't change at all but I had this joy that comes from being in Christ. And then the third part of this, again, this is what I feel like God's been teaching me about joy, is in Kenya. As I'm talking and interacting with the Christians in Kenya, I was amazed at the joy that they have in Christ, just the joy of daily journeying with Christ. Because in Kenya, the people that I'm with, they don't have good circumstances, you know, financially, they don't have much money. Most of them have maybe two or three pairs of sets of clothes. They walk everywhere. They don't have cars. You know, they, you know, for almost every meal, they eat beans or rice or ugali or potatoes. Meat, they don't eat meat very much because it's just too expensive. And just about every Kenyan that I've met and gotten to know well enough to find out about their family and their friends and kind of more of that heart stuff, Almost everybody has lost a loved one to a disease that would have been cured if they lived in the United States. But yet they have this joy, not based on circumstances, but they have this joy that is based on the fullness of Christ in them. And I share that with you about my own life because that's part of the mission that we have to the world around us. And part of the mission, really, that we have to one another, that we want to find Christ, find eternal life in Christ, but we then want to live this joy-filled life day by day by day. And the world around us is looking for that, and that's the message that we have. So what we're going to do is we're going to start in verse 14, and we're going to work through the rest of this and say, how does this challenge me? What in here can I learn from how Jesus prayed for the disciples that will challenge me as I fulfill this mission to proclaim eternal life and to proclaim that we can have joy in this life in a relationship with Christ? So we read this in verse 14. It says, I have, Jesus prays, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. 
So here's the first thing I want us to see, and really just focusing on the first part of this verse. It says, I have given them your word. So in other words, they and we also, we have God's word. And God's word is the message that we proclaim. You see, we don't have the freedom to water down God's message. We don't have the freedom to kind of adapt God's message to what we think somebody wants to hear. That we give them God's message. We give them God's word in the form that it came to us from God. And then the second part of this is, again, it's a challenge to us in this, is that we want to hear from God. We want to be in God's word on a regular basis. You know, one of the things, again, kind of going back to New Year's resolutions, that maybe you made a New Year's resolution this year. You said, I want to read the Bible, or I want to be with God on a regular basis, on, a, on an everyday kind of basis. And I'll give you a great tool to do that. It's called Version. Uh, Bible app, and you can put it on your phone. You can look at it on a regular computer, go to the website. Um, it's actually on the River's website as well. But it has all kinds of reading plans. Some of them are like three or four or five days long. Some of them are months and months on end. But pick a reading plan. Pick one that's topical. Pick one that, is, um, that goes to a book of the Bible or whatever, maybe a character study, whatever you want to do. But find something in that you version that will get you reading God's Word on a regular basis. Because as Jesus says here, says, I have given them your word. God has given us his word and he wants us to be in it so that we can proclaim this word accurately to those around us. Here's the second challenge, and it comes from verse 14 and uh, verse 15 combined. It says this, I have given them your word. And the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Here's what I want us to see here, is that what Jesus is praying here, he's saying, don't take them out of the world. I don't think he's, he's not praying like, don't rapture them as soon as they become a Christian. As soon as you become a Christian, whoop, you go to heaven. He's not saying, God, don't do that. What he's saying is, don't take them out of the world or the relationships that they're in. Keep them in the relationships that they're in with people in the world, but don't let them become sucked into how the world lives. You know, if you're a Christian, you've been a Christian for a while, you know, it can be very tempting to withdraw from the world. To just say, you know, I'm just going to have my Christian friends, I'm just going to have my little Christian world, because everything is, is comfortable here. Because the fact is, and this is true in my life, and this is probably true in your life, is that there is something just sweet about being with close Christian friends that's just enjoyable. We had um, the Riverage staff and their spouses over for dinner, uh, a Christmas dinner before Christmas, about a week or so before Christmas. And it was just awesome. It was fun. We laughed. We ate. We were just together. It was fun and easy. I love those times. On Christmas Eve, after the services were over, we had folks over to our house, about 15 folks for Chinese food. It was just fun to be together. I love those sweet times of fellowship. And it can be very tempted to organize our lives to just be with people that we're comfortable with. But we look at this prayer that Jesus says he says, Father, don't take them out of the world. Father, don't take them away from these relationships because we need to be in relationships with people in the world so that we can bring the message to the world. 
Now, I want you to think about the people in your life who have had a spiritual influence on you. You know, all of us, as you think about why are you at where you are spiritually, it's because there's been a person who's come alongside of you, a friend, a family member, a brother, a young life leader, a a youth group leader, a, a small group leader, that somebody's come alongside you and helped you to grow spiritually or helped you to find faith. And that's because somebody left what was comfortable to go and to walk alongside of you. One of the things that some of you know that I do is I coach tennis at the University of Charleston. And one of the reasons that I coach tennis at the University of Charleston is because I want to be with people who are far from God. And if you met some of the guys on my tennis team, you would say they are really far from God uh, and just the way they act and their language and all that kind of stuff. But I want to be there and love them and care for them. And I would challenge you, are there people in your life that you are with on a regular basis who are far from God, who you have the opportunity to pray for, that you have the opportunity to care for and serve and love and be involved in their lives, not just superficially like you just say hello or they work next to you, you casually know them, but are you investing in people who are far from God because that's part of the mission that God calls us to is to invest in people. But there's a flip side to this, and I want to, under, to understand this as far as, as, we, as we're going to people. Verse 16, it says this. They, again, speaking of the disciples and of us, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. You see, we as Christians are called to be in the world, but not of the world. And so what that means is that there should be a distinctiveness about the way that we live our lives. That our lives, because we are followers of Christ, should look different than the people around us. You know, and there's a, there's a superficial level, you know, it, one sense of, you know, as far as the language that we use or not laughing at dirty jokes or, you know, those types of things. But there's a much deeper level that our lives should look different than the world around us. You know, we should be the ones that always speak words of encouragement, that build people up instead of tearing people down. Our lives should be marked by humility of encouraging other people instead of pride and looking at ourselves and lifting ourselves up. You know, our lives should be marked instead of kind of picking on people and attacking people, we should be, have lives marked by defending people. When people are attacked verbally or otherwise in our schools, in our workplaces, in our families, we should be the first ones to come to their rescue to care for people, to put other people's needs. Those are the things that should mark our lives to make us distinct from the world around us. Jesus uses this word. He says, sanctify them in the truth. Sanctify them with your word. Sanctify is a churchy kind of word that means to grow spiritually. You know, we talk a lot at River Ridge about taking next steps in your journey with God. We talk a lot about growing spiritually. That's being sanctified. And God wants us to be sanctified. He wants us to grow. And when we grow spiritually, that enables us to be in the world, but not of the world. Let's look at this next challenge. It comes from the next verse, verse 18. Jesus prays this. As you, so again, he's praying to his father, As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. 
this, that one verse is so filled with application and understanding, and just we could unpack this for hours. But it's this idea that as God sent Jesus into the world, Jesus is sending us into the world. And so think about all the ways that God sent Jesus into the world. Any way that God sent Jesus into the world is true of us going out into the world as well. You know, God sent Jesus. Jesus had a clear message of salvation. And so we go with a clear message of salvation. Jesus entered the world as a servant. He said, I haven't come to be served, but to serve. And so we go into the world as servants. How about this one? Jesus left his comfort zone. Jesus left the comfort of heaven to come to the cesspool of the world. And so we do the same thing. We leave the comfort of our home, the comfort of relationships to go to a world that is sometimes difficult to love. How about this? When Jesus came to this world, he came full of grace and full of truth. It wasn't grace or truth. It was grace and truth. And so as we go to the world around us, we go with God's grace. We spread his grace, but we also spread his truth. We don't shy away from either one. And you can keep thinking and thinking. Every time you see something that is true of Jesus coming to the world, that's true of us going to the world as well. Let's look at one more challenge, and this may be the most challenging of all from verse 20 and 21. It says this, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me, so we know that that's us, through their word, uh, excuse me, believe in me through their word, that they will all, excuse me, let me read this slower and incorrectly. It says, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, so that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. He says he's praying that they all may be one. Jesus is praying for the unity of the church. Why is it that Jesus is praying for the unity of the church? Is it because he wants us to be unified for unity's sake? No. Is it because he wants us to have good relationships with each other? Yeah, that's true. That's a part of it. But that's not why he prays it. He says, I want the church to be one. I want Christians to be unified. Why is it? Look at the end of verse 21. So, okay, why is it? So that the world may believe that you have sent me. You see, Jesus designed that the church would be unified, the church would be one, the church Christians would love one another so that the world around us would know that Jesus Christ was sent from God. You know, and you look around at the world, at the Christian world, and it's splintered and it's fractured. And Christians say stuff about other Christians and churches bash other churches. And it's no wonder that the gospel isn't being proclaimed as it could around the world because there is such disunity in the church. And like, I'm a simple guy. I don't know how to solve like church denominational splits and all that kind of stuff. I don't know how to do that. I really don't. I thought about it. I, was like, I have no answers for that. But here's what I do know 
is that I can look at the person-to-person relationships that Christians have with one another, and I can say, you know, as far as it depends on me, I'm going to live in unity, in oneness with other Christians as best as I possibly can. Here's some questions that may challenge us about how do we live in unity so that we are one, so that Christ is proclaimed. You know, here's a question, and again, these are to ask ourselves. Do I bash other churches? Do I speak poorly of other churches? Because that doesn't bring unity. But on the flip side, am I quick to point out, even though a church I don't go to, maybe even believes in things or worships differently, am I quick to point out what that church does well that adds to unity? How about this? Do I criticize other Christians because they don't live like I do? Or do I criticize other Christians because they aren't as far along spiritually as I am? It's a challenging question for us. How about this one? Do I speak about other Christians instead of speaking to other Christians? You know, we have a problem with somebody else and we're quick to talk about them. Instead, why don't we talk to them? Or how about one more? Do I have a tendency to change churches or ministries or groups to avoid conflict with people? It's a great question. You know, these questions are challenging to me, and I hope they're challenging to you as well, because it's this idea that Jesus was serious when he prayed this. He said, I want you to be one. I want you to be unified. I want you to live at peace with other Christians. Why? so that the world may believe that you, Father, sent me. That the world may believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. It is part of God's plan for the mission of the church. So here's where we are. The mission of the church, this church, any church, the mission of the church is to proclaim that eternal life is found in Jesus Christ. The eternal life is found in Jesus Christ. And then we go about putting this mission into practice in our own lives by being in God's Word, engaging with the world, yet being distinctive, continuing to grow spiritually, doing the things that Jesus did, and pursuing unity with one another. This is not an exhaustive list at all, but it's what we find in John chapter 17. I want to bring all of this up to the service to challenge us. You know, when the church does these things, when the church does well at these things individually and corporately, we can impact the world. We can have a huge impact on the world around us when we engage with the mission, when we live this mission. I was, um, I want to close with this story about what this could look like. Uh, And I was at a I was at the YMCA about three weeks ago, and I did a spin class. And I went through this spin class, and I thought, what I experienced here is what people should experience when they come to church. So I walk in, and I was a little bit like, okay, how does this work? And so somebody noticed that I was new, and they said, hey, here's a bike. And they put me on the bike, and they said, you want to adjust it this way and put the seat forward or backwards so it's over your uh, knees this much or over your hips kind of thing. And then you want to um, adjust the height so that, you know, your legs extend this far. And they just kind of helped me get oriented to it. And she asked me what my name was. And then as the class was going on, this woman spoke to me a couple times. And some other people spoke to me a couple times. And they used my name 
as they talked to me. Uh, and then throughout the class, some people would check me. You doing okay? You understand how this little gear thing works and riding the bike and what you're supposed to be doing? And it was just this fascinating class to me. And then afterwards, she said, did you enjoy it? We'd love to have you come back, Matt. Again, she used my name. And I thought, what I experienced in going to spin class, that's what I want everybody to experience when they walk into a church or when they walk into our church, but really into any church, that they would feel welcomed and loved and people would notice who they are. That's the challenge to us as a church, that we are on a mission, and that mission challenges us in the way that we interact with the world around us and the people around us. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for this opportunity that we have to worship, to look into your word, to just work verse by verse through John chapter 17. God, I pray that you would help us to understand what it is that you want us to do. How do you want us to live our lives differently to be a part of the mission that you have called us to? I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.